0: this morning we are continuing our series on growing in the gift of prayer. And we will seek to learn how to pray with the Apostle Paul. Allow me to start with a brief exercise to get us thinking. I want you to think of someone at Grace Church. Put a name in your mind. Maybe it's someone you met this week. Maybe it's someone you went to home group with. Do you have a name? Now if I was to ask you to pray for them right now. How would you pray? Let me ask, did you immediately think of a physical need that they had? Maybe their job, their health, their well-being. Or were you unsure of how to pray for that person? Chances are most of us in this room were either unsure of how to pray for someone that came to our mind or the only thing we could think of was a physical need that they had. At church, the Bible tells us that we are a body, one body in Christ, and it calls for us to pray for one another with supplication, making requests to God on behalf of one another, and I think one of the most helpful questions we can ask ourselves is, how should I pray for the body of Christ? I believe the Lord, through his word, will teach us one way to answer that question and will challenge us in how we pray for others and even how we pray for ourselves. You see, the prayers we see in the Bible have multiple purposes. One is to instruct us of what we should desire and pursue. 2 Timothy three fifteen through 17 says, The sacred writings which Paul means is the scriptures, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus and all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, did you hear that, complete, equipped for every good work. Church, even the prayers we see in the Bible are meant for our instruction as they are breathed out by God for that purpose. But there's another purpose that I see in the prayers that we see in Scripture, and that is to show us how we should pray. Think about it for a moment. If Paul was indeed carried along by the Holy Spirit, inspired to write Scripture, and inside of that scripture, we see a prayer that he makes for God's people, we can be confident that this is a prayer that is made according to the will of God. Can we not? And a wonderful promise of prayer in 1 John five fourteen through 15 is that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So you see church, there is no better assurance we can have that we are praying according to the will of God than when we pray the prayers we see in scripture. Do you want to know that you're praying according to the will of God? Read the prayers in scripture and pray those. You see, because of all this, it's my conviction that we need to spend more time meditating on the prayers that we see in Scripture, and we need to allow them to shape and challenge the way that we choose to pray. We should pray them for ourselves. We should pray them for others. And Paul's prayers are a wonderful place to start. His prayers are then supremely valuable to us because they not only show us what we should desire and what we should pursue, but they show us how we should pray. So today our focus is gonna be in the book of, the letter of Colossians. And we're gonna look at the prayers that Paul says he makes for the church in Colossae. We're gonna be looking at Colossians 1, 3 through 13, or 14. And as I examined this prayer, I saw Two things Paul prays with and two main things Paul prays for. May God give us grace to see wondrous things in his word. Begin with me in Colossians 1, 3 where we see that Paul prays with thankfulness for God's work. Look at verse 3. Paul writes, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Notice that the we shows that this is not just a part of Paul's prayers, but it's a part of Timothy's, whom he referred to in the opening of this letter. Paul says they always thank God in their prayers for this church. What a strong statement. Every time I pray for you, church, I thank God. God. What's even more interesting about this statement is that this is a church that Paul has never met. It was planted by Epaphras. And Paul had only heard reports about them from Epaphras when he came to visit. We see this in verse seven. So the question I had is, how can Paul consistently pray in this way? This church? How can he consistently be thankful to God for them? Well, notice what Paul and Timothy are thankful for. Look at Colossians 1, 4 through 6. He says, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, so it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. You see what Paul is thankful for? He's thankful for their faith, their love, and their hope all of which came through hearing the word of truth, the gospel. Paul is consistently thankful for the grace of God in his church. Consider some details here. First, notice the object of their faith. Their faith is in Christ Jesus. I've heard it said that faith is like an anchor on a boat It's not the anchor itself that holds the boat. It's what the anchor is hooked up to that holds the boat. Their faith is in Christ Jesus, Paul says. The construction of the name alone draws attention to the resurrected, exalted Christ. It is King Jesus that they have faith in. It is Messiah Jesus Their faith is anchored in the strongest point that it can possibly be anchored to. Christ Jesus, the name that is higher than any other name. The one who bled and died and rose again victoriously. Christ Jesus who trampled death, who broke the power of sin, who bought us with his blood. Christ Jesus who stands in victory, in whose power in which we stand, our rescue, ransom, and Lord. Christ Jesus, the joy of our salvation and our hope eternal. Amen. Is your hope, is your faith in Christ Jesus, church? I read a story this past week of New Testament scholar Dr. J. Gresham Machen that captures the importance of this question for us. The author writes, Many years ago, Dr. Machen was defending the full authority of the Bible and the truthfulness of the gospel message it proclaimed. During the height of the controversy, he was speaking one day at the Chicago Divinity School Chapel which was crowded to the doors with listeners and reporters. An eyewitness said that he held the crowd spellbound throughout his message as he shared the Bible's teaching of the sinfulness of man, the grace of God, and the need for men and women to be saved through faith in Christ. Near the end of his message, a female reporter spoke up. She asked, Dr. Machen, you don't seem to think very much of man. What reason do you have for so belittling him? And Machen replied that he was simply repeating what the Bible said. The woman then shot back with a question that in one form or another, you and I hear all the time in our own day. But really, Dr. Machen, it doesn't make any difference what anyone believes, does it? Just so long as he believes something. Dr. Machen could have passed that question off, but he didn't. It was too important to not answer. It was said that he leaned over the lectern, looked the reporter directly in the eye with news people all around him, and yet, as if, speaking directly to her and boldly quoted the words of John three thirty-six: He who believes in the Son has eternal life, And he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You see, Dr. Machen was asserting that it makes all the difference in the world what someone believes about Christ. And apparently he was asked no further questions. Church, is your faith in Christ Jesus That is the most important question you can ask yourself this morning. His life, his death, his resurrection is our only, only hope, our only firm foundation. And so Paul can thank God for this church because he knows that they have faith in Christ Jesus. Paul also says he's thankful for the love they have. And notice the object of their love. It's all the saints. This is not love for only those who are easy to love. It's not love for only those who are in classe. It is love for all the saints. Oh, that we would be known for that kind of love. I have been praying for this all week for our church. That our love would be unique, that we would love those of different cultures, economic status, that we would love new believers, mature believers, the young and the old alike. This church had a love for all the saints that was so evident that Epaphras had to tell Paul, 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 you wouldn't believe it. This church loves all the saints. And Paul was thankful to God for that love because that is love that God worked in them. And finally, pay attention to what Paul shows is the cause of this faith and love. Did you notice in verse five he says, this is because of the hope laid up in heaven for you. The idea of being laid up is putting away and storing something. Church, our hope is not wishful thinking. The hope that we have is not some mystical, like, please, Lord, make this happen. It is a firm, grounded truth that what we have stored up in heaven for us is far superior than any pleasure. That's the hope that we have. And their faith and their love is because of this hope. Their faith in Christ is strengthened because of the hope they have of joy forever with him. Their love for others is easy because of the hope they have laid up for them in heaven. They can serve, they can give, they can sacrifice because they know that their hope in heaven is secure and wonderful. You see, church, love and faith grow out of hope. And we see that this, Paul says, came through the hearing of the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel gives hope, gives faith, produces love. So Paul prays with thankfulness for God's work in this church of giving faith, love, and hope through the goodness of his gospel. Do we pray for others in this way? That is the question. Charles Spurgeon suggests it would be a very useful exercise to our hearts if we would often give thanks to God for the gifts and graces which we discover in our Christian brethren. I am afraid we are far more inclined to spy out their faults And to suppose that we deplore them than we are to discern the work of the Holy Spirit in them. And from the bottom of our hearts to give thanks to God for them. How would our hearts change towards one another if we were to always give thanks to God? For the faith that he has given, the hope that we have How would it change if we were able to thank God for the grace we see in others instead of the lack of growth? If we were able to bear with people and rejoice in their faith? The challenge is to make a regular practice of praying with Paul with thankfulness to God for the work that he has done in his church. Consider the second thing that I see Paul pray with. Paul prays with a concern for God's people. Now this is almost a redundant point to make because Paul would not be praying for this church if he wasn't concerned for them. But what I want to point out is the way we see this concern for, Paul's, for God's people mentioned. Look at verse nine and what he says. He says, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul makes it clear that his concern for the people of God is not fleeting. It's not a one-time event in his life. It is continual and it is unceasing. Back in verse 3, he actually used what is called the present tense for the word praying and then he added the word always to emphasize that he has a constant practice of praying for this church. Do you have a constant practice of praying for Grace Church? You see, the faith Paul sees, evidenced by love and anchored in hope, is what caused him to have an unceasing concern for others and to pray to God on their behalf. Paul is not resigned only to thank God for their faith, love, and hope. He has a concern for their growth. And this leads us then to say, what does Paul pray for then? For this church that he is thankful always for, and this church that he is concerned about, what does he choose to pray for? I think we see two main things that Paul prays for. He prays for spiritual insight and spiritual growth. J.R. Miller comments, Some people pray for their friends but ask only for things of lower or less importance, that they may have good health, that they may get on well in worldly affairs, that they may prosper socially. These are proper enough blessings to ask for our friends, but they are not the first things. Paul, in praying for his friends, asked for them the highest and the greatest things. My prayer has been that we would learn to pray in this way. That God would give us the grace to see what others and what our greatest needs truly are. So let's consider these things closely together, starting in Colossians 1.9. Paul prays for pervasive spiritual insight. Look at verse 9, he says, And so, from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul's request is that this church is filled with the knowledge of God's will. The idea is of a ship being fully equipped for a voyage at sea. He prays that they would be completely filled with the exact knowledge of God's will that they need for their lives. Now, when we consider how Paul is writing to correct early forms of what's called Gnosticism, which claimed that one could achieve perfection by growing in wisdom of spiritual mysteries, so it's it's this higher spiritual knowledge, if we consider that, we can know that Paul is not referring to something ambiguous or mysterious when he talks about God's will. I think this is enhanced by the ideas of wisdom and understanding. You see, based on the rest of this letter in Colossians and how Paul doesn't only pray but he writes a letter of instruction, I am confident that when Paul speaks of God's will, he is speaking of the revealed will of God in scriptures. Church, we have the will of God right in front of us. You see, this letter alone shows the revealed will of God to reconcile all things in Christ. It shows to have the church presented holy and blameless before God, being mature in Christ, having hearts knit together in love, knowing the truth of the gospel and putting to death the earthly desires of the flesh. Church, God's revealed will for us is to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. God's will is for us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. The list could go on. We don't have to wonder what the will of God is. It's right before us, accessible to us every hour of the day. And so when Paul speaks Of this church being filled with the knowledge of the will of God, he's speaking of knowing God's will as revealed in Scripture. Knowing the will of God is to know Christ Jesus as he's presented in Scripture. It's to know his plan of salvation, his commands, and his precepts as we see them in Scripture. It's to know how we should live towards others and the hope of heaven as we see revealed in Scriptures. So let's pray, church. Let's pray that we are a people filled with knowledge of God's will. Paul doesn't want it to just be knowledge, though. He doesn't want it to just be simply knowing about something. He says that he wants this in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This means that we need wisdom accompanied with knowledge and understanding of how to apply and follow that will. You see, we don't just store up knowledge for knowledge's sake. It has to pierce our hearts. It has to shape our lives. The knowledge of God's will needs to pervasively influence our lives and our church. We need to be filled with the knowledge of the word of God. We need to be enlightened with wisdom of the truth of God's word and we need to be brought to an understanding of how to apply it to our lives. F.B. Meyer tells a story that illustrates how we need knowledge and wisdom and understanding working together. Meyer was sailing to England from Northern Ireland. It was night and as the ship entered the harbor, nothing was to be seen but a confusing array of lights. So, Dr. Meyer asked the captain how to navigate into the harbor safely in such a confusing jumble of lights. The captain took him up to the bridge and said, You see, sir, it's really very simple. I'll show you how. Do you see that big light over to the left? And do you see that other big light over there to the right of it? And now, do you see that outstanding light still farther away? Well, now, keep your eyes on those three lights and see what happens. As Dr. Meyer watched, the big outer light on the left gradually moved in until it coincided with the middle one. And then as the ship turned, the light gradually merged into the third. There now, said the captain, all I have to do is see that those three big lights become one, then I go straight forward. Just as the captain needed all three lights to come together to know which direction to head, we need knowledge, in all wisdom and understanding. And all of this, church, is granted to us by God. That's why Paul prays for God to fill them with this. And as we realize that God has given us his will and his word, we can see how this begins to shape our prayers for one another. You see, we should pray for God to give us a desire to study His Word in order to know and understand His will. We should pray for the Spirit to enlighten our eyes to understand the will of God. We should pray for God to move through the preaching of His Word on Fridays to fill us with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and understanding. We should pray for all at Grace Church to correctly apply His Word to our lives to understand how to be knit together in love, how to seek to evangelize the lost, how to orient our lives for the sake of his kingdom and his righteousness. Praying for each other for the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and understanding becomes this vastly expansive prayer that we can make on behalf of each other now. So church, when someone comes to your mind, pray in this way for them. When you're unsure of how to pray for yourself, pray in this way for yourself. In fact, I would encourage you to start all of your prayers in this way. This is what the Lord desires for us to pray for. Pervasive spiritual insight. It's not only spiritual insight that we see Paul praying for. Look now at Colossians 1.10-14 where we see that Paul prays for sustaining spiritual growth. When Paul prays for them, he asks for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. The idea behind the language is a balanced scale. Christ's glory and worth on one side and our walk on the other. Perfectly showing the beauty. Church, we should long to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We should long to please God in all that we do. Not to receive something from Him, but because of who He is, because of what He has done. And that is what Paul's prayer is aiming at, for this church to walk worthy of the Lord. Well, What does that look like? What does it mean to walk worthy of the Lord? We could go to lots of places in Scripture to, de- to describe what this means. But our meditation on Scripture, when we're studying the Bible, we should always start with the text that's right in front of us. Notice that Paul gives four things that he is precisely praying for in this request. We see them in verses 10 through 14. He says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, now hear this, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. This shows that there's at least four ways Paul sees this church walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. First, that they would be bearing fruit in every good work. Paul prays for them to be fruitful in the things they put their hearts and their hands to for the kingdom of God. The fruit he is praying for is for more love to others, more gentleness with each other, more forgiveness, more service, more evangelism, fruit that flows out of their lives for every good work that brings glory to God. Because this is what the Lord smiles upon. This is what is pleasing to him, that we would bear fruit in every good work. So Paul prays, God, fill them with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and understanding so that they would bear fruit in every good work. Second, Paul prays for them to be increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you see what Paul is indicating in this prayer? Increasing in the knowledge of God is part of what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's part of what it means to be fully pleasing to him. God desires for us to increase in our knowledge of who he is. That delights him. That's why the study of God's word is not just for an elite Christian, it's not just for a pastor or a missionary, it's for every person because as we open God's word, we see God in the pages, and we grow in our knowledge and understanding of him, and we are then pleasing in his sight. This is why a priority needs to be placed on coming and hearing the word preached, that's why a priority should be placed on studying the Bible together in small groups. Because we need to grow in our knowledge of who God is in order to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Third, Paul also prays that they are being strengthened with power. And get this, for all endurance and patience with joy. He wants them to be strengthened with the power of God according to his great might but it's for a purpose, did you see that? It's for endurance and patience with joy. I had two questions of this text when I was looking at, what's the difference between endurance and patience, and what does it mean to to have power for these things? Now as I asked this question, and I looked at the word, I came to find out that the word for endurance is directly related to trials, temptations, things that happen to us. And the word for patience is actually directly related to patience with people. The word for endurance means to literally remain under. So Paul prays that God would give them the power to Abide under, to remain under trials and temptations and persecutions with joy. And he prays for them to be patient with people, with joy. Patient with people's unpleasantness, maliciousness, cruelty, or lack of love. He prays for the power that this church needs to be strengthened for all avenues of adversity. And notice that he does not pray for them to be removed from it, but to remain under it with joy. Because it pleases the Lord when we remain under these things with joy. It is walking in a manner worthy of the Lord when we do these things. We must move on. I could spend a lot of time on that point. But finally, Paul prays for this church to be giving thanks to the Father. Prays for this church to be a thankful church. And notice how verses 12 through 14 show what we are giving thanks to the Father for. Look there again with me. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Oh, church, no matter what we are going through, we always have so many reasons to be thankful. God has qualified us by his power for an inheritance of everlasting joy with all the saints. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and put us into the kingdom of his son. He has given us redemption, forgiveness of our sins, reconciled us to himself. Paul prays for them to be a thankful church. And would that this would be the kind of prayers that we would make for others and for ourselves. That we would be a people praying consistently for the fruit of every good work. That we would be a people praying consistently to increase in the knowledge of God for us and for others. That we would be a people praying for power to endure and to be patient with joy that would be, would be a people that pray for the church to be a thankful church. The challenge I see from this text is simple and yet profound. Pray with the apostle Paul. Pray for these kinds of things. Study his various prayers on your own. Here's a list of the main ones that we see in Scripture. Take a picture, write them down. Study them this next week. Pray them for yourself. Pray them for others. Pray them for Grace Church. Because, beloved, by praying with Paul, we will be praying according to the will of God. So as we seek to grow in 2020, grow in the gift of prayer, let's seek to pray with the Apostle Paul with thankfulness for God's work and concern for God's people and for pervasive spiritual insight and sustaining spiritual growth. Please stand together with me as I pray this over us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise you for your goodness. God, that we have hope that is secure, that we have forgiveness, that we have love from you. God, we thank you for the faith you've given to all here at Grace Church in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the love that we see exist among the church and we pray for more. God, I pray that you would grow us in the knowledge of your will, that you would fill us with all wisdom and understanding of your ways. God, I pray that we would be a church that bears fruit in every good work. I pray that we would be a church that increases in the knowledge of who you are. I pray, God, that you would strengthen us with power for all endurance and patience, that you would give us joy everlasting. God, make us a church that is thankful to you for the many blessings we have in Christ. We ask these things through the blood of Jesus, by the payment that was made for us, that draws us near to you. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.